This episode of V Brown Bag Zero Two Hero API series covers Rubrik. So today we're going to be exploring Rubrik's APIs. My name is Rebecca Fitzhugh, and I am a technical marketing engineer at Rubrik. Feel free to reach out to me via Twitter at Rebecca Fitzhugh or via my blog, technicloud.com. Today we're going to be discussing how Rubrik's APIs can be used to create very powerful and very flexible automation workflows. Workflows that can be you know, integrated really into any orchestration engine or platform out there that supports outbound REST. First off, uh, you know, I want to point out that the Rubrik platform is designed and built around an API-first architecture. So what this means is any of the features that you see within Rubrik, our engineers and developers have made sure that there is a REST call for that. In fact, the Rubrik UI uses our own REST API. So with every click or action in the user interface, it's actually calling to and consuming our APIs. So the API first architecture was designed with automation specifically in mind. We're going to see that a little bit today. So apologies for the disruption in the API discussion, but before we really start getting into it, it would behoove us to, to really just pause and take a step back and discuss Rubrik at a really high level, uh, just in case you are unfamiliar. So let's you know make this quick and then dig back into automation. Rubrik converges backup software, uh, replication, catalog databases, deduplicated storage, and more into uh, you know a single software fabric. And that single software fabric can be easily deployed as a plug-and-play appliance, a software appliance, or in the cloud. It, it really removes that, that complex or that bloated architecture that's reminiscent of you know, legacy data protection systems, whether it's running on-premises or in the cloud. So it's, it's a single software platform that we can use to orchestrate application data from data center to the cloud. We have the ability to do things like instantly power on any application anywhere for recovery, for search, uh, you know, for test dev, you know, whatever purposes I can think of. And since Rubrik is, you know, built on that scale out architecture that we see with a lot of companies, you know, like Google and Facebook, it allows users to continue managing it as a single system and to scale out very easily without any kind of forklift upgrade. So to get started, uh, installing Rubrik plug-and-play appliances typically takes less than an hour, sometimes you know 15 minutes. Uh, and then once up and running, Rubrik auto-discovers your virtual and physical environments, such as your Hyper-V and ESXi hosts, your VMs, your databases, and it does all of this through APIs, uh, you know, or intelligent connectors. Rubrik uses Flash for fast data extraction, minimizing any kind of performance impact due to that production environment. And ultimately, this results in rapid backup windows, as well as the elimination of any kind of virtual machine stun effect. In addition, we have built an intelligent distributed workflow management system uh, that allows us to maximize the number of parallel data streams that were processed. All of your data gets indexed and efficiently stored in a single scale-out repository with the help of content-aware deduplication. Automation is important, right? So not only do we have our APIs that allow you to automate our system, but we automate within our system already. So we're trying to really reduce any kind of daily operational management, thereby you know, providing that kind of a step function change in simplicity 
by enabling a single policy engine that orchestrates your SLAs across the entire data lifecycle. So you can use pre-canned SLAs or you can create and specify your own SLAs and at which point you're going to select things like your desired snapshot capture frequency, your data retention policy, you're going to select where the data gets stored, whether that's on premises or in the cloud, and then you're going to say all these things and Rubrik's going to automate that backup execution policy and make sure that that happens for you within that time period that you specify. So with just a single click, users can instantly recover virtual machines, uh, you know, be it Hyper-V or VMware, as well as SQL databases by booting that virtual machine disk file or that SQL file directly on the Rubrik system. So no additional storage provisioning is required because it is a hyperconverged model if you're purchasing one of our plug-and-play appliances. So for VMware, Rubrik becomes an NFS data store from that vSphere perspective. And for Microsoft Hyper-V and for SQL Server, Rubrik serves as a remote data store and it exposes VM and SQL files via that SMB protocol. Additionally, we do have point-in-time recovery with intelligent log management. So your application and server files can be you know, really quickly located using our Google-like search and restored to basically any location. We do have end-to-end -end encryption, and that can be software or hardware-based encryption, and that's available on-premises. And if you are sending data to the cloud, it is encrypted in transit as well as at rest. Our data gets stored in an immutable format. That way you can quickly recover from, like say, like a, like a ransomware attack without any kind of data loss. And cloud out. So what we can do is we can send dedupe data to the public cloud for long-term retention and still retain that instant access to data using our global Google-like search. So basically all of your data, no matter where it resides, it gets indexed and it's accessible through search. We also have the ability uh, to you know, do cloud on, which is instantiation. So we can instantiate our apps in the public cloud for DR purposes as well as test dev. And basically what happens is Rubrik converts your VM files into a cloud instance. So I mentioned earlier that you can run Rubrik in the public cloud as well. So for any kind of cloud native application, you can deploy Rubrik in your public cloud provider uh, to automate you know, backup, replication, archival, and so on. So now that we have an idea of what Rubrik is, let's, let's do a, you know, a demo, right? So show you some things in the UI and then we'll switch to command line. Okay, hello vCenter. All right, <clears throat> so this is our lovely dashboard. So notice on the right-hand side, this is our activity log. So it's showing us the things that are currently ongoing. And then on, in the center, we have our SLA domains. So this shows us at a really high level uh, what our protection policies look like. And of course, these are just showing us our three pre-canned policies, but you have the freedom and ability to create you know, as many SLA domains as you want. And then on the left-hand side on the top, we have um, basically an overview of our workloads and their you know, protection, right? So in this case, we're looking at vSphere VMs. We see that we have 74 protected and currently 321 not protected. So we go, wait a minute, that doesn't sound right. Let's go and protect those virtual machines. 
Now, fees for VMs, are that's not all we protect. That's not the only type of workload. So you can, of course, drop down here and see all of the different types of workloads that we can protect and then view at a very high level their protection status. Okay, so we also see that we do currently have a, a live mount, and I'm going to demonstrate doing a live mount in just a minute. We see that right now we're currently not ingesting any snapshots, right, any backups. But we're about to, right, we just saw a bunch of processes kick off. Down at the bottom, okay, we see a little bit about our system. So in this case, we have, you know, a single brick with four nodes. We can see how many snapshots, or I should say, how much space our snapshots are taking, or how many snapshots is right over here, as well as, you know, um, how much is currently available from that total, right? And then we can see not only the number of snapshots, but how much data reduction we're experiencing, as well as archive, okay? So in this case, we are currently have about three and a half terabytes of data that is being currently archived. Now under SLA domains, we can view our local domains, so things that are local to this particular brick. And we can view all the ones that have already been created, or we can, of course, create our own. So let's create our own. So let's say VBB and API, okay? So vbrownbag API series. And at this point, we can go ahead and specify our hourlies, our dailies, our monthlies, our yearlies, and then the retention policy on the right-hand column. So this is Effectively, how often do we want to be protecting our data? How often do we want to be backing it up? So we could say, for example, let's do every two hours and we want to keep it for 10 days, okay? And then we want to take a daily and keep it for, say, 30 days, right? Okay? So right now it's saying that our local retention is set to 30 days. Cool. So that means we're going to be retaining 30 days worth of data right here, right? Right locally on this particular brick, okay? Or I should say across this cluster, right? And... Down at the bottom, we have our snapshot window where we can specify that window for that protection. So in my opinion, personally, I say don't do it, right? Unless you have a very specific reason to do it because most of the time that's going to prevent you from actually keeping, you know, meeting that RPO. So if our RPO in this case is two hours, a recovery point objective, we're protecting that data every two hours. And then I set a window of say midnight to 6 a.m. Are we still really protecting our data every two hours? Yes, during that window. But overall, no. So if we're not really meeting our RPO 24 hours a day, then are we really meeting our SLA, right? Now, of course, if your SLA uh, and your, your RPO specifically, you're like, hey, yeah, once every 24 hours, then yeah, you setting up snapshot, you know, window, that, that's, that's fine. As long as you're meeting it, right, meeting that SLA. That's very important uh, because depending on the industry you're in, you could potentially be penalized for not meeting an SLA. With the rubric, uh, we do a first full and then forever incremental from that point forward. So uh, by default, it'll take that first full at the first opportunity, but you can choose to schedule that later on, and that'll apply to any machine that gets assigned this policy. And then under our remote settings, okay. So here's where we specify our storage, right, our retention. So again, we specify that we're going to store 30 days. So we see on the right-hand far side, 30 days. Now, 30 days is not very much, and that's probably more than, our, our configuration is probably more than capable of storing 30 days of data locally. But 
what if it was set to like seven years because I have some kind of, you know, crazy retention policy because of some kind of compliance. I may not want to or be able to store that much data on premises, right, or even within this cluster. So I can choose to archive it and I can archive it to say tape. I can archive it to you know, an NFS server, to an object store, uh, you know, as well as the public cloud, right? So I can choose here like Google, Amazon, Azure, uh, and I go ahead and configure that beforehand. And then at that point, I go ahead and select my pre-configured archival point. Now at this point, I, I've said I want to archive to S3. So let's say at that, now I decide I only want to store, let's say, seven days worth of data on premises and my brick and then the rest of the data is going to be stored in S3 alright so we're going to archive for seven days alright and store this data on premises for seven days and then we're going to send it out to in this case S3 and it's going to be archived for an additional 23 days and after that time period expires right then it's going to be of course rotated out right because that at that point the data lifecycle is going to end based off of our policy Additionally, we can also specify replication. So any you know rubric instance we can replicate to. So for example, if you have a robo configuration and you have a virtual appliance uh, running rubric in that robo site, you can replicate your data into HQ, right? Or you know say you have uh, you know HQ being protected, and then you have a DR site, you can replicate that HQ data to that DR site. So really, it's going to be rubric instance to rubric instance replication. So wherever you have rubric running. And at that point, we go ahead and create that policy and then assign it. So we can assign this to our different workloads, right? So if these are like, for example, virtual machines, we can assign this at a, say, vCenter level. If these are vSphere virtual machines and have everything within that vCenter auto-inherit it. Or we can be a little bit more granular, right? And apply it on like, say, a folder level. Or if we really wanted to, we could apply it per virtual machine. All right, so let's cancel out of that. Let's go look at one of my VMs, for example. All right, so I have a couple of VMs. Let's look at my, uh, let's look at my test, okay? So my test virtual machine is assigned the gold policy, which we see right here. And we see that it is currently residing in our demo V center. I have no live mounts of this VM, and I'm currently not doing cloud conversion. I mean, I'm not, uh, taking this virtual machine and converting it to, in this case, an AMI in AWS. On the right-hand side, we have a lovely calendar overview. So in this case, we see that we only have two blue dots. So for this month of October, we only have two days worth of data protection. And we can corroborate that by looking on the left-hand side. So we see the oldest snap was yesterday. The newest snap was just a few hours ago, right? So all of this checks out, right? That makes sense. And we see that we have a total, in this case, of six snaps, and we have missed none. So, so far, so good. But we, of course, only have, at this point, two days worth of protection. Now, let's look at today, right? So we see all different points in time for today. If I hit the ellipses next to the 2.39 p.m. one, we see a couple of options. I can launch on cloud, so I can instantiate this workload into a public cloud provider, namely uh, AWS, in this particular instance. Um, I can browse the file so I can basically crack open that file system and dig through and take a look. I can export this. I can instantly recover. So at that point, if this is still running, the source VM is still running in, say, vCenter, since we know this is a vSphere virtual machine, what's going to happen is that source VM is going to get deprecated, it's going to get taken down, and we're going to bring this up in its place. 
right? And it's near instant. It's less than a minute before it's up and running. Okay, so that's awesome. But that retires, right, or de deprecates the old one. So, you know, if it's corrupt or it's gone, somebody accidentally deleted it, whatever, I can instantly recover, have it back online in no time. I also have the option to do a mount, right, a live mount. So what this is going to do is it's actually going to basically build a virtual machine out of this snapshot. Um, so out of this point in time, and it's going to run it in parallel to the source virtual machine. So if you do have, say, your source VM still running, you can do a live mount, and this will be appended, it'll be a different name, it'll have a date timestamp, but you can run it in parallel, you can run some tests, you can do any kind of development on it. Uh, if you want to just log in and look at what, you know, what it looks like at that point in time uh, to determine whether you want to roll back to it or not, you can do that. And it's all going to be non-disruptive to the source. Um, and though at that point, it is going to be running on Rubrik for storage. So if you decide, uh, you know, you're done with it and you want to delete it, you can go ahead and unmount it and it'll be gone forever. If you decide you want to keep it forever and ever, no problem. You can just simply storage vMotion it back onto your primary storage. So let's go ahead and do that. You know, for example, let's mount it. So at this point, I want to choose an ESXi host. Let's choose ESXi 10. Uh, it's going to power it on. And I have the option to remove my virtual network device. So if I am worried about like any kind of you know ip conflict or name conflict or anything like that because it is potentially going to go to the same network here um, then i can go ahead and choose to remove the network device so let's do that and then hit mount now while that's mounting it should take less than a minute let's i want to show you one more thing i brought up the idea of global search a few times um, and so like for example i have a file called example right so notice that it's giving me recommendations based off of what I'm typing at that time and does it very very quickly right that's because everything has been indexed I say very very quickly and then of course stops being very very quick um, all right And at that point, I can choose what version, and I can choose to either say download that onto my local desktop, or I can restore it back in place. All right, cool. So very neat. If I don't want to actually crack open and browse for that file, I can just do a quick search if I know what that file is called. Now at this point, let's go to Live Mounts vSphere VMs. All right. So in that period of time that it took me to search, so a little less than a minute, we see that my virtual machine is up and running. It's the snapshot that it's based off of is today at 2.39 p.m. and it's running on this ESXi host, right, number 10. So if we pop over to our web client, you know we know and love our vSphere web client, and also do a quick search for my last name, I see my test VM, but then I also see test and then again today's date at 2.39 p.m., right? So it is running in this case in parallel. And we've removed that NIC, right? So it does tell us whenever we look that, hey, you know, there is no NIC assigned to this VM. And then if I look at the hard disk, and you notice it again that it is located on rubric storage, okay? So if I decide I want to keep it, no problem, just storage vMotion it over. If I decide I want to remove it, no problem, I can just come right back over here and say, you know what, I'm done with you, just get rid of it, unmount. Right, and then it will clean up for me. Okay, so easy breezy. All right, so 
back to our regularly scheduled API discussion. So let's dig in a little bit more. So rubric APIs, they are powerful in that the backup recovery and more can be you know, queried, configured, and controlled. So think of all the use cases you can come up with. Um, this you know, idea of repetitious tasks, why? Right? Eliminate doing any kind of bulk operation by hand. Extensibility is demonstrated by being able to leverage the rubric platform to extend its functionality to, you know, service catalogs such as, say, like vRealize Automation, ServiceNow, and so on and so forth. And as Afra mentioned, any operation available through the rubric UI can be done using the APIs. So everything that I just showed you can be done uh, via the APIs. Uh, you know, and rubric does use the same RESTful API that you do. And our RESTful APIs, they are native to the platform, and they have been there since day one and are not retrofitted. Now, if I actually pop back over to the demo really quickly. So if I just put in the IP address of the URL and then docs v1, I see our RESTful API documentation. Right? So it's all there. So I have a lovely introduction and overview. We have a, a change log that tells you between all the different versions what has changed. And then a nice overview that walks you through things like versioning and authentication and the architecture right, of uh, our APIs. Right? And then as you dig deeper into it, say you can look at SQL Server databases, we really start getting into where it does show you know, uh, not only the, you know, the architecture of it, but it actually starts giving you sample code. Right, and talks about how you could use it, and it gives you examples of this. Right, and so this is regardless. You know, we have a masterless architecture, so it doesn't matter what node in the cluster you use. It doesn't matter what IP address you put in here in terms of rubric nodes. Just go ahead and put docs v1, and you're going to be able to pull up this documentation. So it's right there, readily available and easy for you. Okay, so. You know, everything is documented using Redoc. So, you know, if you, you know, again, go to any kind of uh, URL endpoint, Rubrik will spit out the documentation for the APIs. And then gives you the ability to essentially look up in minute detail how everything works. You know, and really just by going through and really learning that overview section of the documentation, you would have most of the tools and knowledge required to use our REST interface. And of course, you know, the documentation does provide code snippets and parameters to make it easy for you to learn and to use our APIs. So basically, if you're just now tuning in, TLDR, read the documentation, right? So our API first platform uh, it can be used to create those, those workflows that uh, can be integrated into really any engine or service that supports outbound REST. You know, so I used VRA and uh, ServiceNow as an example before, but it's not just them, right? It's things like Puppet, Chef, Ansible, um, you know, Salt Stack, and so on. You know, and if you are using something like ServiceNow, Rubrik does integrate with ServiceNow using a custom app that provides, you know, common backup and recovery workflows that allow help desk teams or even an end user to, to walk through the items presented in the ServiceNow catalog. So you could do, you know, for example, self-service file level recovery. Uh, and that's all you know, interacting with the Rubrics APIs. You could initiate a live mount and instantly access your VMs or SQL databases and do that for you know, recovery or test dev. You, know, you could even pull in Rubric information into your dashboard and reporting. 
And if you are using something like ServiceNow, then ultimately this does give you a little bit of a higher level of self-service that is ITIL compliant. And it already aligns with you know whatever your existing business rule is. So basically what I'm trying to say at this point is that the sky's the limit when it comes to use cases. Use your imagination and create something interesting. Rubrik already has a bunch of stuff on GitHub. Help us add to it. So let's dig into the architecture. The way that our API architecture looks like is that we are using the open API spec, right, or specification that was formerly known as Swagger, hence like the cool dude walking on the last slide. Um, you know, I don't have the heart to, to, to change it from Swagger to open API on that slide. It's just, I like the animation. So our, the open API specification, it is really, it's the most widely adopted API spec in the industry. So that's important to point out because the nice thing about this is that a lot of companies are using it. We're not the only one. So companies like VMware, PayPal, you know, and so on, they're all using it. And so by using open API spec, it ensures that we can leverage the best practices in the industry, you know, and build a truly scalable and easy to use API. But what that also really means, it's probably a little bit more important to you, is that you can use all the open source tools that are out there to generate code and SDKs, and, and you can interface really in the language of your choice. And a lot of people are doing this, so there's a lot of tooling around this already you know, a lot of open source tools. So if you generate code or SDKs, it makes it pretty easy. So really the main idea is that if you use the rubric UI or you want to interface with our APIs using your favorite scripting language, you can. You have access to the same thing either way. Really the same, the same sort of logic applies regardless. Rubric APIs, uh, you know, they are resource centric and everything is organized by resource types. So for example, VMware, uh, you know, Microsoft SQL, file sets, Hyper-V, and more. And more and more endpoints are added with every release. Now, again, we have a bunch of endpoints, but we've made sure that everything is well documented and it does adhere to a common interface. And not only do we have this RESTful API, but we've already built a few modules of tooling around it. So we have, you know, for example, our PowerShell module, and you can find that on our GitHub page. So if you want to interact with our product using only PowerShell, that, that's totally possible. We have also have a module for vRealize Orchestrator, you know, and then of course we already mentioned things like ServiceNow. So using VRO, uh, you know, as a specific example here, you would go to our GitHub page, uh, you can download the VRO package, install it on your Orchestrator server. And then essentially what you can do is give a service catalog to an end user. So the user requests a new service or virtual machine, and then as a part of that request, the user can select which rubric SLA to apply to it. You know, and so at that point, the user can really kind of control what the cost would be for backup, whether you're protecting it, say, every hour or every, say, 24 hours. And, and you know, if you don't do that, if you've already, say, applied an SLA to the vCenter level or the folder level, that's fine. Rubric will detect that the VM has been placed there and assign it an SLA anyway right, based off of where it's located. And so it's fairly automated in that sense. Additionally, you know, once that VM has been provisioned, you can do VM and file level restores, live mounts, whatever you want through, through VRA. So <clears throat> let's see an example of Rubrik APIs in action, right? So in this example, we're going to 
go through a workflow that validates our rubric backups. So in just a second, I'm gonna switch screens to my demo. So the idea is like, if I could do automated testing of my backups, right? That's kind of an important idea. It's great that I've backed up my data um, and it's there, but is it actually even usable, right? So it'd be pretty cool if I could have some kind of automated testing of my backups without having to tri trigger something manually. So let me switch screens uh, and then I'm gonna execute this demo script and then we'll walk through uh, what's happening. So this is a pipeline job using something we built uh, using a framework called invoke build that uses PowerShell. So the code is specifying at this point to, to go ahead uh, you know, and, and connect to the various APIs. So in this case, the rubric API, uh, you know, as well as in vSphere, right? We wanna connect to vCenter. So every time a backup is taken, the script is gonna get triggered. And what it's gonna do is it's gonna live mount a virtual machine. And we see that actually happening right now. And it's called two-tier app. So it's actually made up of an application server and a database. So right now I'm just saying, hey API, can you make a live mount of these two workloads, right? So the next part that we're going through is, hey, great, we've live mounted them, but are they up, right? So what is the power state, right? Are they on, are they off? So we see that they are on, cool. Now, great, they're on, but is the operating system responding? Well, let's check VMware tools status, right? So we're waiting, is VMware tools running? Okay, so it looks like it's running on the application server, but not the DB yet. So again, let's try again. What's going on with that? Um, now, cool. So we validated that the guest tools is running. Now, we've also coded and said, I want you to do some fancy stuff. Now you could just test it straight away at this point, um, but you know we've had customers ask if we can do things like change IP addresses and other specifications and we can. So I'm moving it to a different VLAN and this one's called VLAN 50 servers mount. Right, so we see that we are moving it to the different network. So we put that virtual machine, both of these virtual machines, into that environment. Okay, waiting on it to keep running. What we're also going to do to make it a little bit more complex is we're also going to change the IP address of those virtual machines. Cool. So we see that our application server uh, got at 172.17.50.121. And uh, <laughs> I'm being called out for having an old version of VMware tools on my database server. Sorry, I'm a slacker. Hopefully it'll, it'll get past that. So either way, it should you know, get a new IP address. All right, so we've got 121 and our database should be uh, 122. Right now, keep in mind that some applications really hate for their IP address to be changed, so uh, don't do that. You can test it a different way. Right? Okay. So we have uh, new IP addresses, and now we're going to run some tests. So what we're doing here is we're actually doing a ping test, and then we're also doing net logon. So net logon tells me for this Windows server, I get some basic information about uh, you know whether the partitions are corrupted, whether the operating system came up, whether the services are running. Uh, so, that, you know, that, that went by really quickly, right? So now it's done and our code, uh, you know, at the very end saying, give me some information and tell me what happened. So one thing to kind of point out here is, notice at the top in green, it says two minutes and 47 seconds. So that's pretty fast. So it's reporting that in two minutes and 47 seconds, we brought up a two tier application from backup, moved it to a new network, connected the NICs, 
gave it a new IP address, ran these two tests, validated that those VMs did come up from that backup with a new IP on a new network. We're able to ping it. We're able to check net login. And then at the end, we said, you know what? Cool. We're done. We validated if it works. Get rid of everything. I told Rubik, I'm good. Throw it all away. Right. So all of this is backup validation and all of this is done by invoking, uh, you know, the, the Rubik API as well as as vSphere. Right. So how does this work? Right. So it seems like magic. Right. But really, in order to do automation these days, all you really need is a solid API and the ability to write uh, minimal amounts of codes. Right. Um, and I would by no means say that I am wildly wildly proficient I would never you know look for a job as a you know <laughs> a software engineer right so I can I can write minimal amounts of code so the first thing we're looking at here is a JSON right so this is really just kind of our configuration uh, we use JSON in this example but really you could use whatever you want that's applicable so I really need to tell any you know any kind of system what my application looks like you know um, what my environment looks like and, and what you want me to test. So that being said, here's what my application looks like. It's uh, the name of the workload I'm running. So in this case, uh, that same VM that we saw me messing with earlier, SE or Fitzu test, that's the name. And here's what I want to call it once it's mounted. So about two tier app. Cool. And then here are my credentials, right? So my guest credentials are stored in an XML file, right? So a secure XML. And then I also specify, here's what I want the new IP address to be. Uh, here's what network I want it connected to. And here's the gateway. And we want to run some tests, right? And that's ping and that log on. And I did this for the application server <coughs> as well as the database. So ultimately, this JSON file, it's really just, you know, the, the configuration of the app. Now, I also have a second JSON file. So here, uh, I, I, you know, I, I, I have to tell my environment or I have to tell it where my environment is, right? So great, I have an idea of what my application looks like, but where is my environment? So in this case, here's my IP addresses for Rubrik. Here's my IP address for vCenter and I need to authenticate with it. So here are my credentials. So in this case, I have my secure XML credentials for vSphere and Rubrik. So you just take, you know, a user account or, you know, a service account and put those credentials into a secure object and save it as an XML. Cool. So now I have the configuration of the application and I have access to the environments to test in. The next thing is I have to say what tests I want to run. So here I have ping and netlog on because, uh, you know, really they're easy. Everybody knows these. Everybody gets these. So here I have ping, right? So test ping, and I'm going to assert that whenever we do this test connection, that it's true, okay? Uh, so test connection here, is, it's really gonna send that ping. And then quiet is going to be for us to tell us true or false. And if not, you know, go ahead and send us back this error. And then net logon is going to get the credentials, okay? Great, so we've got our credentials, and then it's going to call the WMI for this particular environment. And we want to also make sure that the service that we're calling, you know, in this case, uh, netlogon, is running, right? So the state should be, in this case, running, okay? So really nothing too crazy about this so far as the, you know, as, as the code itself goes. And then to piecemeal this all together, 
we have our build, right? So this is the PowerShell script that puts it together, right? So starting at the beginning, right, we want to pull all of our configuration details from those JSONs. So we want to know the environment file. We want to know the configuration file. Of course, we want to connect to Rubrik. We want to connect to VMware. And we're going to do that, of course, by using that credential file that we have. And then we're going to do a live mount. So we're going to do the live mount of those two virtual machines. We're going to validate that that live mount works. And we're going to do that by checking the power state as well as checking the health of VMware tools, right? So we want to know that the guest tools are running, just like we want to know that we are powered on, right, if it succeeds. We wanted to make this one a little bit more complex, because at that point we could have said, okay, great, we have live mounts, the virtual machines are running, there is, you know, the, the VMware tools are running, let's just ping, right? Let's just check NetLog on at that point. But we made it a little bit more complicated. So the next thing was moving the live mounts to a test network, right? So we want to go ahead and specify. Uh, we're going to set that adapter to a new network, right? And so we specified that network name in our configuration, right? In that JSON. And then we're going to change the IP address. So we're going to set that IP address to the, again, the IP address specified in that JSON file. And then at that point, we're going to run some tests, right? And those tests are going to be ping and netlogon, right? And that's going to use that test PowerShell script, right? And then at the very end, when we're done, get rid of all of it and then report back to us, okay? All right, so <clears throat> now let me switch back to my slides. So we've gone on this magical journey through space and time together. Um, I just want to state that that exact code that we just ran through is available on GitHub, right? Clicking the wrong thing. There we go. All right. So the reason we weren't really able to do this before is, you know, because unfortunately in, in the world of data center operations, APIs have been few and far between. Uh, many, you know, applications and products required you to log into a console and then learn some kind of SDK or wouldn't even give you an API at all. Instead, require you and force you to go through the GUI. And that, that to me is a little bit crazy. So you need something that's smart, has an API, and does your bidding. All right. So in previous vBrownBag API episodes, uh, you know, we talked about imperative versus declarative. So imperative is where you have to be smarter than the computer and tell it what to do. Do this, go there, build this, whatever. Whereas a declarative model, I can just say, hey, I want a live mount. And all we really told Rubrik was, build me some servers. I need some servers to test. And Rubrik was like, hey, cool, here's your servers. And that's, that's really what I want, right? I want to do minimal, minimal effort. So <clears throat> to build a workflow, right, the first thing is really, what do we need to do? So in this case, I knew that we, you know, wanted to build out the environment. We needed to build out the virtual machines that have been backed up. And then we wanted to run the tests. So this is logically what I need, right, things to do or things to look like. And then we need to look at it from an automation perspective, right? What does this look like from a task perspective? So I'm going to need to... Uh, connect to the rubric APIs. I need to connect to vCenter. I need to request that live mount. I probably want to put things on a different network, which means I need to change the IP addresses, and then I'm going to run the tests. And okay, you know, like that's what I need to do. And then last thing is we need to actually piece all this together, 
right? So then we actually wrote those those pieces of code and, and we picked a workflow. So in this case, invoke build, but there's a ton of them out there. You can use Jenkins, Fabricator, AppVair, you know, whatever. So this is what it looks like really for, for any process. It doesn't matter what you use, this is the process that you're going to, to, to use. So you're going to stage some resources, right? You're going to connect to uh, some APIs. You're going to build out the machines you want to test. And then step two is you actually do the test, right? So a lot of people stop there, but you shouldn't, right? You should keep going and then clean up. That's, that's important. Most importantly is, you know, report. Did this actually even work or not? So in our example today, this is, you know, what this workflow looks like. I need to connect to my environment. I need to request a live mount. I need to set up the network. And then if any part of that fails, just, just kill the workflow because that means the workflow itself has failed, right? But if it works, then go to test. And this is where we ping or do the service validation. You can also do things like application queries. Now, if step two fails, keep going because that's going to tell you something about the infrastructure. Uh, I had in my example, an app and a database virtual machine. So if the app fails, I don't want to stop there and assume it's an app problem. I want to keep going and check the database and see because, you know, for example, if the database services aren't started or, you know, the database isn't recoverable, that, that's a problem. But we want to keep going so we can determine where the issue actually lies. Now, if stage one fails, we can actually go ahead and go straight to step three. Or, of course, if it you know, works and we go to step two, then we can just go step two to step three at that point and conduct cleanup. And then the last thing is get your results. Invoke build. This is a PowerShell based build tool. So this is our invoke build workflow visualized. So we're going to, you know, stage things. Um, we're going to connect. We're going to, to mount. We're going to validate, right, that things are working. And um, then we're going to, you know, change the network. We're going to actually do the test, right, and all of that. Now, notice that cleanup up here is kind of hanging on its own, and that's because, uh, you know, it's not specifically in any order, right? We, we, can, we can do it at any point. So the circles, these uh, call code, whereas the squares, in this case, actually contain code. And then what we can do at that point is output results. And you can do this with the examples you see on the slide, right? So syslog, uh, you know, Grafana, something else. It doesn't really matter. What matters is at the very least you are logging so that way you can see what is going on. So that way, you know, somebody can troubleshoot and determine when those tests start to fail, right? And figure out why this is happening, uh, you know, or more importantly, who to blame, right? Who made that change so that way we can hunt them down and figure out what went wrong. Now, we saw in the UI, right, me doing a live mount, and then we saw me doing a live mount using our APIs, right, by writing some code. Uh, I can do the same thing, right, so ultimately you can continue to, you know, use the UI, or you can choose to consume the APIs. You know, the, the choice is yours, but it's important to know that they're both there, they both allow you to do the same things, okay. So, with that, thank you very much for your time. Please feel free to reach out to me if you have any questions about anything that we covered today.